What's good? What's happening? It's Frank Fawcett. I'm uh, here again to join you on another another uh, cold morning <laughs> out here trying to um, give you the good news here. Anyway, uh, let's go over the title of this episode. The title of this episode is Jeremy Strong, succession actor Jeremy Strong, and the, let's see, what did I put? Succession star Jeremy Strong and the inner world of gifted actors. Now, as you might know, you might not know, I'm an actor, first and foremost. Uh, but this weekend, um, I didn't get triggered, but uh, <laughs> there was interesting back and forth online about uh, a New Yorker article. Uh, Jeremy Strong, one of the stars of uh, Succession, which just had its finale yesterday, which I haven't seen. So don't ruin it for me. No, <laughs> now I got to admit, I, I'm not a big watcher of Succession, but after kind of listening to this profile, I became more of a fan and I'm revisiting the series um because it has everything in it i like really like you know i didn't realize adam mckay was one of the creators hey what's happening jt coin rings um join the room join the discussion uh i'll be joining the link so we can all weigh in but um yeah it's uh i didn't know it was a show for me and it's actually kind of perfect for me and it's funny because one of my best friends is an actor too was telling me to watch the show from day one and i'm sitting here you know I'm, I'm i get caught up in my own actor business and like you know trying to do other things make movies and stuff and, and you know sometimes a lot of times you just don't want to watch a lot of tv and just veg out but you know I, he, he brought it up to me that it's a good it's a good practice to watch what's current and actually, um, you know, enhance your game as an actor from watching others, you know what I mean? Doing the things you want to do. And and then after this, reading this profile, which, uh, like I said, was in The New Yorker, um, I realized this guy, Jeremy Strong, and I have a lot in common, you know what I mean? So uh, the article's titled, On Succession, Jeremy Strong Doesn't Get the Joke. Which, when you when you set it off with that type of uh, shots fired, <laughs> it it, it kind of tells you the direction of what this uh, where this article was going, and a lot of uh, what I saw in this was that the writer, uh, it's written by Michael Shulman, um, the writer actually spent quite a bit of time with Jeremy and kind of tagging along and uh, uh, actually, you know, trying to, you know, profile this, this, this actor who kind of doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's been a, what they would call a de-evolution of the American actor in recent generations. And like, you know, these strong actors that came out of the seventies and eighties, uh, they mentioned Dustin Hoffman, they mentioned Al Pacino. They mentioned 
uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, even though he's not American. But the American ethos of the serious actor kind of doesn't exist in this microwave internet generation, per se. And it's kind of funny because the way they're describing him is kind of what these people were in their in their past work. And they want to say he's difficult to work with, things I've heard. They want to say he's he's too unique or too, you know, against culture of the set. You know, everybody else is very familial and kind of playing around. But he feels that his character is on the outside so that he keeps himself uh, a little isolated from the audience. I mean, from not from the audience, from the other actors on the set. And so, you know, the article breaks down all these points and I'm going to, I'm going to get into it right now. But um, yeah, man, like this show succession is right up my alley. I'm probably going to binge watch the whole thing, you know, and that's a good thing about now, you know, you have an option to do that. Now I can watch all three seasons in their entirety um, and, and just kind of enjoy it at my own pace instead of waiting every week for a show, which, you know, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm uh, I'm not old fashioned. I do like serialized drama and stuff that comes out, you know, every week. But, you know, there is something about being able to have instant gratification for watching a whole series in one chunk. But anyway, uh, Michael Showman here. Let me read this subtitle, too. Um, Oh, okay. This is just a quote from the article. Okay, so I'll move on. When Jeremy Strong was a teenager in suburban Massachusetts. He had three posters thumbtacked to his bedroom wall. Now, remind you, I, I bring this up. I'm bringing this article up because it it exposes me. You know what I mean? It, it shows you kind of what actors who think of themselves seriously are kind of tortured with. I mean, I'm left to a lesser extent, obviously. But, you know, the similarities are insane at this point with, with when I was reading this I was like oh that, that sounds like me <laughs> uh but your man Jeremy was born and raised in uh suburban Massachusetts I'm gonna put up a link too so you can join the discussion here on YouTube um we'll do that a little later and if not hey it's cool we'll we'll just uh table the discussion but I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. Um, When Jeremy Strong was a teenager in suburban Massachusetts, he had three posters thumbtacked to his bedroom wall. Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot, Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon, another good movie. Uh, What a great movie. Um, And Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. These weren't just his favorite actors. Their careers were a roadmap he followed obsessively, like Eve Harrington casing out a trio of Margot Channings. He read interviews that his heroes gave and later managed to get crew jobs on their movies. Now, this guy was a climber. like He actually got in there and got close to these people so he could study the ways in which they work, the craft, the way they they put together characters and like, it's kind of amazing. And I, I I realize this, you know, being in LA now, it seems like there's a chasm between celebrities and, uh, you know, us up and coming actors, but, uh, 
you know, in New York, it's quite different. And, you know, with him being an East Coast guy and him being, you know, a Boston guy. Um, and you'll see here the I even remember when I was there, the theater is a great actor's medium. And basically it allows you to kind of be in these circles with these people that, you know, you, you might think are legends, but you know, they're, they're kind of down to earth and New York in general too. You know, you can walk down the street and find, find your favorite actor. Like me and Jeffrey Wright bumping into each other multiple times in Brooklyn is one of the highlights of my career. And if I was smarter, I probably would have done what this guy did was get close to these actors and actually build relationships and, you know, serve whatever purpose, which was smart. So, um, you know, he's giving me some ideas to um, of some calls I'm probably going to put in. Anyway, he read in interviews that his heroes gave and later managed to get crew jobs on their movies. By his early 20s, he had worked for all three men. He had adopted elements of their full immersion acting methods. Now, um, I don't know exactly where Dustin Hoffman studied uh, acting, but I do know Dustin Hoffman is notorious for... Uh, you know, his, his, his methods and getting into characters and like, you know, kind of really getting in deep and doing some deep work and staying in character, but not necessarily method. You know what I mean? Like uh, method acting is, gets a bad rap and they'll talk about that later in the article um, about that. But Daniel Day Lewis, on the other hand, <laughs> he is, you know, off in the hills, cobbling shoes uh, uh he i think they mentioned he built a house he helped the crew build a house because his character was building a house in this in the in the uh, movie um and like you know things like that and like al pacino is also very intense he's very um he's historically very intense um let me make sure everything's cool here on my audio side i think i'm great but um yeah, check, check. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you move forward and by his early 20s, he had worked for all three of them. By his mid 30s, after 15 years of hustling in the industry, he had minor roles in a string of A-list films. Now, that's impressive. You know what I'm saying? Like, that that's what we, you know, we need to know about this is that, you know, there is goals and then there's you know there's people who can execute on these goals and it seems like jeremy strong is one of those people who executes on his goals and doesn't take no for an answer really uh he basically is writing his own ticket he's put himself out there in a position so that he can get uh included in these discussions i mean included in these these circles he's surrounded himself with the people you know, when they say you got to surround yourself with people, like-minded people or people who are doing what you want to do. Um, he, Jeremy has his favorite people, you know, and he he's making sure that he gets close to them and shows. He shows that he's one of them in a way. And if he doesn't know what they are, 100 percent, he actually is uh, showing that he is worthy to be in the discussion because he's learning what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? 
that that's the important part here that I was trying to get to in the long roundabout way while checking my sound and everything else. But anyway, uh, 15 years of hustling in the industry. He had minor roles in a string of A-list films, Lincoln, Zero Dark Thirty, Selma, and The Big Short. These are great movies, critically acclaimed movies. Like, this ain't no joke. This dude really went hard. Um, and, you know, he's playing bit roles in these movies and kind of, you know, building up his his credits. Actually, Lincoln, I think his role was pretty decent. He was close to Daniel Day-Lewis, which we'll talk about later. He played a staffer in both the 19th century White House and the 21st century CIA. But he, as he approached 40, he felt that his master plan wasn't panning out. Hmm. We've all been there, haven't we? Uh, where was his Benjamin Braddock? His Michael Corleone? And I think I know. He's asking those questions, but I think I know what happened because I'm looking at my own career and I'm like, hmm. Where's that uh, Malcolm X role I'm supposed to have played by now? You know what I'm saying? Like, where's that uh, that great, you know, Steve Biko uh, moment that I've wanted to have in my career? You know, these are Denzel Washington classic roles that he had probably done before 40. Um, but the industry's changed. And I think we lost a lot of time in the early 2000s because uh, Jeremy and I are roughly the same age. No, and um, I, I've experienced that exact feeling of like, what, where's this master plan going? You know, what I mean, where's where's all this leading me? So, um, and I haven't even gotten to play Michael Corleone. What the hell? <laughs> no, nah, it's funny because my dad and his friends actually, I am Michael Corleone to their godfather that they worked out in there. <laughs> and they, they shout out to you, Uncle Dennis and Uncle Larry, and uh, rest in peace, Dad. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm Michael, and I haven't even gotten to play Michael in the movies yet. So uh, <laughs> you come to New York, so he goes to New York. You're doing off off Broadway plays, and you're in the wilderness. Strong told me of his early career. Your focus just becomes about the work and trying each time to get go to some inner ledge, and you get used to people not noticing. Tell me about it, man. You do all this work and all this energy into a play that, like I said, is in Connecticut. That, you know, the the when I was in Hartford doing the show, like standing ovation every night. But damn it, man, I was going to some deep places and I felt like uh, it it wasn't really doing much for my career. Uh, getting these these praises in such a other market than New York. I'm not going to say small market because it's a decent market, but uh, you know, like something about getting that in off Broadway, it would be like, or Broadway, it would be like, yo, you're, you're, you're on your way, kid. You know, uh, then it happened in 2016, Catherine Bigelow, the Oscar winning director of the Hurt, the Hurt Locker cast him in a big role as national guardsman in her film, Detroit. Around the same time, Strong had lunch with Adam McKay, who had directed him as a financial analyst. If you don't know, Adam McKay is uh, the comedy writer who's written all the Will Ferrell movies, pretty much. He's also got a business company with Will Ferrell and just like all around like dream team, like somebody I want to work with. You know, what I mean, like 
I, I, I think I'm pretty funny. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but uh, the funny thing is, like, as they mature as comedy writers, like they're starting to do more drama. And this show suggesting, I, I, I mean, I'm saying starting to, but the big short really just set it off for him in the serious arena. And uh, Oscar nominated film, Succession, Emmy nominated every year. Come on, they, they're they're the real deal. So uh, they also produce this show. So uh, Adam McKay, who directed him as a financial analyst in The Big Short, McKay said that he was executive producing a new HBO show called Succession, which he described as strong as a King Lear uh, for the media industrial complex. Now, when you mention King Lear, when you mention Shakespeare, anything that has a parallel uh, a new TV show that has a parallel with a Shakespearean play, that's that's actor gold right there. You know what I'm saying? I hear that and immediately my ears perk up and I'm like, hmm, that sounds like something I want to be a part of. You know what I mean? That's where we want to, you know, something to sink our teeth into. You know what I mean? Finally. So anyway, um, McKay, and it's also kind of, related to Rupert Murdoch and, you know, the story of uh, his media company, his media empire. And, you know, it's kind of a, a parallel of it. Not exactly. But um, uh, McKay gave him the pilot script and said, tell me what role you want to con- you you connect with. Now, what as an actor's dream, man, I wish I wish to God some producer who had Oscar nominations and you know Emmy nominations and work with Will Ferrell and all that stuff just comes up to me is like here's a pilot script tell me what role you connect with hopefully that will happen in the soon future let's let's just say that strong picked Roman Roy the wisecracking youngest son of Logan Roy a Rupert Murdoch like media titan I thought oh wow Roman is such a cool part strong said he's like this bon vivant prick I could do some. I could do something that I hadn't done before. That August Strong, who was living in Los Angeles with his fiance, I'm currently in Los Angeles. See, you see how things are kind of linking up here. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, most actors either live in New York, L.A., or Atlanta. Some, <laughs> you know. So, I guess that's not too odd. Or Canada. Uh, went to film Detroit. He went to film Detroit. He had done deep research for the role, watching military documentaries and practicing marksmanship at the shooting range. He arranged to miss part of his wedding week festivities for the filming. So that's that's a funny thing, because actors, we always have these moments where we have to make big decisions between working and or life changing events. So uh, on my (laughs) on my graduation day, uh, it wasn't necessarily a job, but. I left my family at Washington Square Park because I went to NYU. Um, I left my family at Washington Square Park and um, proceeded to get on the subway, go uptown and do an audition. <laughs> and I was like, I'll be back because this is the important thing. Like, this is what you're going to school for. So why would you not leave your family in New York City <laughs> to go uptown and uh, have this meeting that might potentially change your career you know what i mean might be adam mckay in there waiting for you um but after one day bigelow 
fired him. Catherine Bigelow fired him from Detroit. That's rough. He said, I just was not the it was just not the character that she had in mind, Strong said. It was a devastating experience, man. That That is pulling the wolf. That is pulling the, I don't know what you, it's taking the breath out of you, basically. He got punched in the stomach. And as an actor, you get fired from a, a big movie like that. You're just like, it, it's existential crisis at that point. You're like, what did I do that was so bad that got me fired? You know what I mean? I guess that's any job, but especially as an actor. Um, and he quit his, he missed part of his wedding on top of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, ugh. Ugh. it's like these dreams that we have that, you know, are called the actor nightmare. A lot of times it's, it's just moments that, um, like, you know, I have a dream sometimes and I'll be on stage and I won't have, I wouldn't have rehearsed at all, but I'm expected to put together this brilliant performance and it's on Broadway or something, you know, like <laughs> I, I don't have the dream that often, but when I do, it's, it's frightening. So these are kind of the moments and this is happening to him in real time. So um, Bigelow says that the character wasn't working in the story after Strong pleaded with her. She came up with another part for him as an attorney. Thank God. He would have beat himself mercilessly if he wasn't afforded another opportunity here. And um, thank God she had something else for him. Whew. So then he flew to Denmark to get married. <laughs> so he had to go out the country to get married. Staying at a castle called Dragsom Slot. Um, that's when he got the call that succession people had cast Kieran Culkin as Roman. If you don't know who Kieran Culkin is, he also stars in Succession. Um, it's been brilliant for years. He's also Macaulay Culkin's younger brother. Um, but, you know, solid actor as an adult. You know, I remember, uh, I think the change for him came like Cider House Rules, you know. I was like, Kieran's good, but um, a different kind of actor than our man here, um, Jeremy, Jeremy Strong. Uh, evidently, the role hadn't been McKay's to give. Wow. So even the producer, executive producer and writer didn't have the control over who who could be cast in this role, even though he probably thought he had some good influence, but the network is probably making a decision ultimately um and it's funny because um it's funny because we we do i had a conversation with somebody that says we we imbue some people in the business um with more power than they might necessarily have at the specific moment or or that's what it was it was we we've personalized the decision making process that doesn't really include us that doesn't have anything to do with us it could be something arbitrary um actually it was glenn i was talking to my friend glenn who's on our tear right now who's booking like crazy um is basically like the role it might come down to that you're not the right height for the character and they don't necessarily explain that to actors you're just like, damn, I must have screwed that audition up. No, you could have done a perfect audition. You could have pitched a perfect game. 
but that one factor you're, you're you got the wrong hair color you're uh you're too tall you're too young looking in the face i had one time in a oh my god i wanted this show so bad i was a series regular role um and they thought that when i shaved my face like i have now uh, I look too much like the lead character and they thought there might be a conflict where they might think we were related, that he was my father or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Something that crazy. And I don't even know how I got that information. I think my agent told me. But, oh my gosh, if you don't get that information, you're just like, what did I do to screw this up? You know? Then they went with a guy who had more credits than me too, so that might have had something to do with it as well. See what I'm saying? This is kind of triggering this whole article but uh i'm gonna continue on um the fantasy he had persuaded single mind he had pursued um strong tried to let go of the fantasy he had pursued single-mindedly for decades but the show's creator jesse armstrong agreed to audition audition him for the role of kendall roy this guy gets bailed out every time, man. <laughs> That's the good thing. You know, sometimes you walk away, you don't have anything. So, you know, he's lucky to get a second look most of these times, which, you know, is part of his hustle. You'll see here. Uh, the moody middle son and Logan's heir apparent. I've always felt like an outsider with a fire in my belly, Strong told me. And so the disappointment and the feeling of being thwarted, it only sharpened my need and hunger. I went in with a vengeance. He tore through books about corporate gamesmanship, including Michael Wolff's biography of Rupert Murdoch and cherry picked the details he liked. Apparently, Murdoch's son, James, ties his shoes extremely tightly, which told Strong something about his inner tensile strength. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Those are details that the actors love. You know, we like to attach to something and be able to to. Um, to keep that as like a, a character thing. Um, damn, I meant to turn this on. Hold on for a second. We're back. <laughs> uh, yeah, inner tensile strength. We, these are little details that actors can attach to and, and really sink your teeth into, you know what I'm saying? Like, it gives you that extra added edge. So, you know, the fact that these characters are loosely based on real people, you can start using details like that to deepen your performance and put yourself in the mind state of the character. So at the audition, Strong, his shoes tied tight, read a scene between Kendall and the CEO of a startup that he's trying to acquire. This is in the pilot. Uh, Armstrong was skeptical. He asked Strong to loosen the language and the scene transformed. It was about like beastie boysing it up, Strong recalled. I was missing the patois of bro speak. <laughs> See, that's also detailed. This is this guy's good. That's what I'm saying. He's got he's he understands how to analyze these characters. Uh, by the end of the day, he had the part. And that's the other thing, too. You'll notice when you go in on these things and you know you've got the part, um, you know when the when the bat connects with the ball that you've actually hit the part out of the, the there's nothing else that you can do. I mean, that's what I said. Uh, slight 
short of uh, being too tall or too short for the role or having the wrong hair color, you know you put it all on the field. He's like, well, I figured it out because uh, I got to change up the, the speaking pattern, and that was what was needed. But sometimes you'll notice you'll get the roles that you're nowhere close to. You, you, you feel like you didn't do a good job, but sometimes you did a good job, and you just have to trust that, you know. So Kendall is the show's dark prince, a would-be mogul puffed up with false bravado. He's often ridiculous in his self-seriousness, especially when he's trying to dominate his indomitable father. Strong was perfectly cast as a background player who had spent his life aspiring and often maneuvering to fill the shoes of his acting gods. Kendall desperately wants to be wants it to be his turn, Strong said. Last year, he won an Emmy Award for the role. See? You just need the right vehicle for the right actor and you can get to that next plateau and, you know, get that recognition, you know, because it's not all about the awards, but the awards afford you opportunity to do things that you want to do projected into the future. So Strong, who is now 42, has the hangdog face of someone who wasn't destined for stardom. Hmm. Look at this mug. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of interesting because if you're not a damn near a model now, sometimes you don't get recognized as someone who could be of value in, in an agency or at a, for a film or something. You know what I mean? So <laughs> this guy was dealing with uh, leading man desires and character actor features, which a lot of us, a lot of us have. And I think that's the more interesting place to be. Uh, to be a lead character actor is like it's gold right now. So not right now, but in general, it always has been. Um, shit, Humphrey Bogart was strange looking. If you really look at him, you know, he wasn't, you know, <laughs> he go all the way back. Al Pacino, all these guys, even Robert De Niro is kind of strange looking, but I guess he kind of he's kind of riding the line. But, you know, there's something more than just being a pretty face as an actor, you know what I mean? Uh, but his mild appearance belies a relentless, sometimes preening intensity. Mm. He speaks with a slow, deliberate cadence, especially when talking about acting, which he does with a monk-like solemnity. To me, the stakes are life and death, he told me about playing Kendall. I take him as seriously as I take my own life. He does not find the character funny, which is probably why he's so funny in the role. Hmm, that's a key right there, y'all. Take that away. People playing comedy, when you're yucking it up for laughs, a lot of times you're missing the strongest version of that humor because you're playing, you should be playing against that and you'll get deeper in it. Because the character doesn't know they're being funny. I even think about uh, Seinfeld. You know what I mean? Kramer for all his problems and the Richard Michael Richards who played him. But, you know, Kramer thinks he's seriously on, got the bright idea. And so he's got to bust into Jerry's door and tell him this bright idea. That's why that character was effective. Even George Costanza. Like, you know, it's almost like, you don't comment on the joke as it's coming out. 
you just have to play the given circumstances of the character. And um, that's when some of the strongest acting, dramatic or comedic, happens. So when I ask Strong about the rap that Kendall performs in season two at a gala for his father, a top contender for Kendall's most cringeworthy moment, he gave an unsmiling answer about Rosklinov, Rosklinikov, Rosklinikov. Roskolinikov. <laughs> I, I gotta look Roskolinikov up. Referencing Kendall's monstrous pain. Kieran Culkin told me after the first season, he said something to me like, I'm worried that people might think that the show's a comedy. Uh, and I said, I think the show is a comedy. He thought I was kidding. Part of the appeal of Succession is its amalgam of drama and bone-dry satire. When I told Strong that, I, too, thought of the show as a dark comedy. He looked at me with incomprehension and asked, in the sense that, like, Chekhov is a comedy? <laughs> Yo, that's an actor-nerd joke, I guess. You got to know Chekhov. Uh, if you're familiar with Chekhov. Chekhov is great for actors, um, but Chekhov is considered comedy technically, but it's very serious in nature and serious themes and Russian at the turn of the revolution and all. Yeah, check it out. No, I said in the sense that it's funny. <laughs> That's exactly why we cast Jeremy in that role. McKay told me because he's not playing it like a comedy. He's playing it like he's Hamlet. Damn. Damn. Listen to that. He's playing a comedy like he's Hamlet. Yeah. Actors try to find the real and the make-believe, but anyone who's worked with Strong will tell you that he goes to unusual lengths last year. He played the yippie activist Jerry Rubin in Aaron Sorkin's film, The Trial of Chicago 7. Aaron Sorkin's going to come up again because he's very important in this uh the backlash that's happened here uh while shooting the 1968 protest scenes strong asked a stunt coordinator to rough him up he also requested to be sprayed with tear gas real tear gas um i don't like saying no to jeremy sorkin told me but there were 200 people in that scene and other another 70 on the crew so i just Declined to spray them with poison gas for one actor. <laughs> no, I added the one actor, but yeah, that's that's hilarious. But uh, would I try that? Would I? Uh, I could see the benefit of being sprayed in the face with um, with uh, tear gas to get the real reaction on camera. Um, something you can't replicate is something real. So that's why I say like Jeremy and I kind of similar. I'm going to skip ahead, too, um, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, yeah, Strong has always worked in this way. This is his 20s. He was an assistant to the playwright, Wendy Wasserstein. Wow, that's that's huge. You know what I'm saying? For an actor to just be putting in time under people that he admires. You know, I'm sure there was a financial incentive some way, but to work with Wendy Wasserstein 
who was in her prime at the time. And, you know, he typed up her manuscripts at night. He performed a one-man play by Connor McPherson in a tiny midtown bar playing an alcoholic Irishman. I think I remember that, actually. I remember that play. So I was in New York at the time, I believe, or back and forth. But watch the scene discovered that Strong was spending a lot of time with her Irish doorman, studying his accent before Wasser scene died in 2006. Strong was one of the few people that knew she had lymphoma. She thought of writing a play based on him titled Enter Doorman. This fall, Strong was shooting uh, James Gray's film Armageddon Time, playing a plumber based on the director's father. Uh, Strong let his hair return to his natural gray. It's darkened for succession and send me videos of himself shadowing a real handyman for research, repeating back terms like flare nuts and a honking queen's accent. <laughs> Yo, this is dope. Uh, costumes and props are, are like talismans for him. In 2021, I mean, 2012, he played a possible victim of childhood sexual abuse in Amy Herzog's The Great God Pan at Playwrights Horizons. There was a shirt. He wore that was really important for him and for compositional reasons we wanted to try it in a different color herzog told me i remember him saying that the shirt he was wearing had functioned at his as his armor and this new shirt wasn't like armor they let him keep the shirt you know what i'm saying like i can i know that feeling too like where you're like this character has kind of grown in this piece like maybe a sport coat or something a blazer you're like, now they're about to take it away from me because of costume shit. And I need this piece. I've built so much history into this piece. It feels like a part of me. A lot of times you have to give it up. Um, because like I said, this guy gets bailed out every time. Every time he has a request, it's a little strange. They're, um, they seem to bend to his will in some way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? But, um, But I love the the moxie of asking to keep the shirt. He's like, yo, I need this to keep my, to keep my character moving forward. It's, it's my armor. <laughs> I've had a couple pieces of costumes that have been armor, armor. but uh, Strong's dedication strikes uh, some collaborators as impressive, others as self-indulgent. And this is where the drama comes in because not everybody's going to look at your ambition and your, your specific um, approach to character as as inspired. A lot of times they're going to look at it as like you're just an actor who's selfish. You know what I mean? And that, that's not the case, I would say. I think he just takes it seriously. And he has, you know, it history will tell the story. You know, it remains to be seen. Um, and maybe he'll relax as he goes, but I know that drive too. I'm still in that place of drive. I'm like trying to get it done at any cost. But um, all I know is he crosses the Rubicon. Robert Downey Jr. told me. See, he's even got a relationship with Robert Downey Jr. In 2014, Strong played Downey's mentally disabled brother in The Judge. To prepare, he spent time with an autistic person as Hoffman had for Rain Man. Look at that. He's 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 hitting his list of things that he wants. You know what I'm saying? I've got my list, too, of directors I want to work with, actors I want to emulate, things that I want to hit in my career. 
Um, when Downey shot a funeral scene, Strong paced around the set, weeping loudly, even though he wasn't called that day. He asked for personalized props that weren't in the script, including a family photo album. It's not unreasonable. Uh, it was almost swatting him. It was almost swatting him away like he was an annoying gnat. I had bigger things to deal with. A member of the design team recalled. <laughs> See, yeah. You don't want to piss off the, the the crew. And, you know, he's making requests that are going to take the crew away from their, their initial function on set. But anyway, um, let's see here. I, I think you have to go through whatever the ordeal is that the character has to go through, Strong told me. This extreme approach, Robert De Niro shaving down his teeth for Cape Fear. Remember that? You probably don't because Rob De Niro's that intense. He's that. Yeah, that's that's ill. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio eating raw bison liver for The Revenant is often described as method acting, a much abused term that in its classic sense involves summoning emotions from personal experience and projecting them onto a character. Strong does not consider himself a method actor. Far from mining his own life, he practices what he calls identity diffusion. If I have any method at all, it is simply this, to clear away anything, anything that is not the character and the circumstances of the scene, he explained. That's important. That's, that's really clear. He knows what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? He, he's, he's even got his own style that he calls here and it's getting results he's getting a lot of results so uh and usually that means clearing away almost everything around and inside you so that you can be a more complete vessel for the work at hand talking about his process he quoted jazz pianist keith jared i'm also very inspired by jazz music you know what i mean like um shout out hey what's up before the billions shout out to you salute salute um yeah, um, I'm also really inspired by jazz music. And I had an acting teacher uh, briefly in Richmond, Virginia, named Ernie McClintock, who had an acting style called the Jazz Actors Method. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, he's quoting jazz pianists and, you know, he connects every music making experience I have, including every day here in the studio with great power. And if I do not surrender to it, nothing happens. During our conversation, Strong cited bits of wisdom from Carl Jung, F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Carl Ove, Nosegard. Uh, he is my struggle. He is a my struggle super fan. Um, Robert Duvall, Meryl Streep, Harold Pinter. The more acute the experience, the less articulate its expression. Man, Harold Pinter was one of those writers that we all had to learn in those early days. You know, that's interesting. He talks about acute experience. The experience, you know, the details. We talk about the details, and Pinter was about the the minutiae, the the small stuff. So that that's a great quote, and he's got all these like a freaking computer. It's it's amazing, man. Uh, the Danish f- filmmaker Tobias Lindholm, T.S. Eliot, Gustav Flaubert, and old proverbs: When a fisherman cannot go to sea, they mend their nets. <laughs> so this this writer is basically he's framing this guy as a bit of an outsider, as a bit of an eccentric, but 
a very informed eccentric who puts these quotes to use in his daily life and you know what am i but a a wealth of useless information i tell myself i'm really good at jeopardy because i can remember things that the normal person probably forgets and you know i can also use a lot of context clues and you know if you've been f familiar with certain things like that's kind of where some of the best actors live we have these weird quirks and that's what i'm saying like these are just quirks but they're not unnormal for actors that's all uh when i noted that he was a sponge for quotations he turned grave and said i'm not a religious person but i think i've concocted my own book of hymns <laughs> oh that's pretty dope yo uh we first sat down in april at a restaurant in williamsburg strong and about foodie seemed to know everyone who worked there let me skip ahead uh he's midway through shooting season three and he wore his character kendall's brown corduroy jacket everywhere that's an important detail too if you look at that um strong often borrows items from the wardrobe department to help him elide the line between fiction and life he also wore a chain of good luck charms that looked like dog tags, including one in the shape of the BT Tower in London, which he used to gaze at from the window of the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. So he went over and studied in London, probably in the same summer program that I did. You know, I actually went to Oxford School of Drama, but a shout out to London, man. Some of our best American actors have definitely spent time in London just kind of soaking up that game you know what i mean and we become i feel like we become very well-rounded by having the experience and the and the exposure to both styles of acting and it kind of puts us in a at an advantage when in its best cases i don't think people realize that yet but um i think that's that's part of it you know you got to expose yourself to all the craft that you can and you know they've done it at a high level forever um it was like uh let's see where he took classes as an 18 year old it was like a prayer yeah i went when i was 19 so 19 yeah and it was hilarious man you know this kid from maryland right outside dc um with cornrows pulling up into london like what's up What's going on? <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, can you say that again? I've never heard anybody talk like you. Like, you know, for all the advances that London has, like when I went way back when, it wasn't the same place. And they hadn't seen this American version of a black man um, who was in, in London studying acting, you know, in, in, in England, UK, studying acting as... You know, I've I represented something different. And I think later they got that, of course, because, you know, hip hop and the Internet, everything is is worldwide now. But at that point, it was a little jarring. You know, what I mean, like they were like, whoa. So but I, I, I kind of reveled in that, too. I like that outsider kind of in a fish out of water situation. So I had a good time over there. And uh, shout out to some of my classmates. Some of my classmates are doing very well right now. Um, people that I knew from over there at London. So in London, 
Uh, it was like a prayer. I had not known. I had, I had not knowing if I had would have the courage to be an actor. He told me over a trout almond bean. He went on. I can't work in a way that feels like I'm making a TV show, television show. I need for whatever reason to believe that it's real and commit myself to that sense of belief. Hmm. I've been there too. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you don't want to think you want to give the best possible version of this performance. And you want to, you know, put yourself in the world of the character and like really get deep in it. And sometimes, you know, sometimes if you're doing a TV show, a lot of the other stuff can get in the way. A lot of the, the pageantry of it or the mundanity of it, I guess. Is that a word? You know, it's like certain. Um, it becomes hard to separate the real mechanical world of making film and TV and the world of the character, you know? So I can see him wanting to separate these things. That's what I said, we're, we're kind of the same actor and it's, it's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll work with him at some point and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll butt heads on set. We'll, we'll go head to head because he's even got more uh, similarities. Let me skip ahead to where uh, one of the other things. We both study in London. Both worked in New York circuit for a little while and studied in New York, I'm sure. Um, oh, 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 this part right here. Is it? Mm, not that one, not that one. Let's just say the New Yorkers, shout out to them. They do thorough, thorough, thorough articles about some of the greatest topics. You know, you don't have a chance to check them out check them out okay um this is an important point when i asked brian cox who plays logan the patriarch to describe strong's process he struck a note of fatherly concern he plays the father so um the result that jeremy gets is always pretty tremendous he said i just worry about what he does to himself i worry about the crises crises he puts himself through in order to prepare yeah, that's heavy coming from somebody who's, you know, in their 70s or 80s. I don't know how old Brian Cox is, but Brian Cox is a classically trained British stage actor, has a turn it on, turn it off approach, which is something we learned there. You know what I'm saying? Like, turn it on, turn it off. Don't bring it home with you. It's hard to do sometimes as an actor. Um, turn it on, turn it off approach to acting and his relationship with Strong recalls a famous story about Laurence Olivier working with Dustin Hoffman on the 76 film, 1976 film Marathon Man. I remember this story. I love that movie. Uh, on learning that Hoffman had stayed up partying for three nights before a scene in which he had to appear sleep deprived, Olivier said, my dear boy, why don't you try acting? <laughs> Cox told me. <laughs> my, uh, you know, you know, it was hilarious. My dear, let me see. My dear boy, why don't you try acting? <laughs> why? Why don't you try acting? Why not? 
Anyway, Cox told me, uh, actors are very funny creatures. I've worked with intense actors before. It's a particularly American disease. You see this? You see how we get thrown under the bus for being intense American actors? No, but, you know, he, he's got a point. This is the OG speaking, you know what I mean? Like, Brian Cox, been there, done that. He's like, yo, I know what this is, and um, it's not necessary. And I think, you know, Jeremy Strong, as he goes along, he'll temper or perfect how he gets in and out of these characters because it is it's rough on you. It's really rough on you. I've talked about that in previous episodes. Um, it's particularly an American disease, I think, this inability to separate yourself off while you're doing the job. Hmm. Strong approaches his role as if it were Hamlet. Culkin plays Roman like an insult comic. (laughs) The way Jeremy put it to me also uh, is like, you get in the ring, you do the scene, and at the end, each actor goes to the corner, Culkin told me. I'm like, this isn't a battle. This is a dance. It's possible that that mismatch, that the mismatch of approaches adds to the sense of familial at ease. It definitely does. I, I can tell you that off the bat. Dissonance in performance styles can sometimes replicate what you want on screen as, you know, the, the tension between characters. You know what I mean? So it's kind of cool. But uh, that might be something that helps him. Uh, oh, or maybe not. Culkin said of strong self-isolation, that might be something that helps him. I can tell you that it doesn't help me. So this is where the controversy starts. This is where basically uh, people felt like some of the quotes that were made. And I think Culkin, Kier Culkin was probably in character a little bit. He was kind of being a smart, smart ass answers about this and maybe he is really pissed off sometimes around jeremy strong as an actor but it just comes off a certain way that you're gonna see uh warrants a a response from some heavy hitters in hollywood uh defending jeremy um from this article even though i so far i don't see anything wrong with what's been said i mean it's kind of an actor's process and you know he's describing you know how off off beat and eccentric we can be uh, recently strong concerned about press reports suggesting that he was difficult sent me a text message saying i don't particularly think ease or even accord or virtues in creative work and sometimes there must even be room for necessary roughness within the boundaries dictated by the work yeah he's got a point um at the woolworth building let's see here okay let's moving forward um let me get to that part where we talk about the theater i'm skipping skipping this if you want to check out the whole article like i said it's in the new yorker um very good piece um but very controversial this weekend man it was all over the place and I think it has to do with, you know, the season finale of Succession that happened. Um, man, that was good. 
Okay, here we go. This is a little background. This is where me and him kind of overlap a lot. Uh, you know, I'm I'm so eccentric sometimes. I'm like wondering why a lot of my people that I've worked with, like I don't keep in contact with them. Now, you know, people are busy, obviously. But uh, I always tell people on this show to be, utilize your network. Sometimes it's hard when you have a very specific process like this. Because not everybody, you know, remembers it favorably, but they remember the results, which, you know what I'm saying? They'll go into what what Jeremy, what Jeremy's been doing with these last, what, 17, 18 years um, of a career. I first met Strong in the summer of 20, 2003. Okay, so I think the writer has a relationship with Jeremy. Um, cause it says he met him in 2003, just after graduating Yale, I graduated in 04 from the master's program though. So I think I'm a couple years. Well, no, I guess we're the same. We're roughly around the same time. I was there in New York. Um, I was in New York. He was up in Connecticut and I auditioned for Yale too. So didn't get in, but, uh, <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, where I was two years behind him, and I'd seen him act in student plays. I got an internship at a film producer's office where Strong, then a day jobbing theater actor, worked as an assistant. The producer and an Israeli woman would scream expletives into her phone all day while the staff worked on that, That's kind of a, a producer thing, isn't it? <laughs> Just cussing people out all day. <laughs> this is how you produce. You cuss at people, all right? Um, while the staff worked on a pre-production for an indie film called The Ballad of Jack and Rose. Yes. Strong taught me how to use a copy machine. As it turned out, Ballad of Jack and Rose would change his life. The film directed by Rebecca Miller starred Rebecca Miller's husband, Daniel Day-Lewis. You see how it all links up? You see how he got in the proximity of his guy that was one of the guys that was posted on his wall as a kid. Like, that's yeah, that's how shit happens in, you know, in New York. You just, yeah, you're doing a little job there. Oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, how you doing? As an aging hippie living on an abandoned commune, Strong got himself hired as Daniel Day-Lewis's assistant for the shoot on Prince Edward Island. Um, so now he gets to see the master at work. Day-Lewis was always already a legendary for his immersion techniques. Um staying in character between takes, building his own canoe for the last of the Mohicans. He arrived in Canada early and helped the crew construct the commune houses since his char character would have built them. After uh, he botched a window installation, <laughs> the crew assigned him a dining room table. Uh, during the shoot, Daniel Day-Lewis lived in his own cottage away from his family. Another detail of the eccentric actor. Uh, you know, the eccentric genius actor. Um, since his character wastes away from a heart ailment in the course of the film, he starved himself eating a meager vegan diet and became so emaciated that Miller was alarmed. Okay. This is back to what Brian Cox says. And, you know, he talks about it being an American disease, but Daniel Day-Lewis is British. So he's from the UK. So 
but he was getting so deep into these roles that he's starving himself. So, you know, it's kind of like, where do you draw the line? And can you just Lawrence Olivier this thing? <laughs> like, how about you try acting? No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a rough place to be as an actor. Um, because obviously Daniel Day Lewis gets results, one of my favorite actors. Um, but and this is this is what Jeremy Strong was watching uh as a young impressionable actor working in a pre-production office. You can kind of see why he makes some of the choices he makes now, obviously. Because Strong had driven up in his father's car, strapped in the passenger seat was Daniel Day Lewis's prop mandolin which he strong recalled handling like a knight errant guarding a relic. Strong had turned down a chance to act at the Williamstown Theater Festival, also a place I've worked and was a part of the non-act company. So that's what I said. We got a lot of overlap here. Some brilliant people come out of Williamstown as well. And you get to work with the real actors in the industry, like A-list celebrities that come through there. It's just like a summer, summer of love theater festival man i hope to go back at some point soon as a professional uh which he said felt in some ways like an abdication of my path but he realized that this was an opportunity to be the sorcerer's apprentice he told me my job was essentially a disappearing act to be unobtrusive and on hand to play along with the game of it i kept a diary and when i looked at it once later the thing that was clear was that my antennae were completely alight and absorbent. Hmm. So this is serving him. Another one of these jobs is serving him to, to get to his ultimate goal, which is that of, you know, being observing the actor that he wanted to emulate in a way. It's, it's genius when you think about it. So he got so engrossed in his menial tasks that some of the crew cruelly named him Cletus after the redneck character on The Simpsons. His whole brain was focused on Daniel Day-Lewis, one person recalled. It's like he's doing a, like a mentorship or like a apprenticeship, which is cool. And I've never had that. I mean, I've been around actors, obviously, famous actors too. But um, yeah, that that's interesting to to really experience somebody like Daniel Lee Lewis, who is notoriously um, very private and very serious to notice his process, to watch his process. So I never really saw him unless he was standing outside Daniel's trailer. Miller remembered that Strong brought a lot of nuts and stashed them in Daniel Day Lewis's refrigerator when Daniel was trying to starve himself to death. He was so concerned about him getting thinner and thinner uh, that he was feeding him up. Strong remembered the nut story differently, but out of fealty to Day-Lewis, who was fiercely private, he would not elaborate. Day-Lewis became an important mentor, Strong said. At the end of the summer, he wrote me a note that I still I have still. It contains many of what have become my most deeply held precepts and beliefs about this work and which I have treasured and will treasure until I die. Strong would disclose 
wouldn't disclose what was in it. Nearly a decade later, he was cast opposite Day Lewis in Lincoln as John Nicolay, the president's personal secretary. Hmm, perfect casting. <laughs> How did Spielberg know that? How, did he did he know that detail that he had worked with Daniel Day Lewis already in such an intimate way? Like that's crazy. Um, Nicolay was utterly devoted to Lincoln. Strong said. Those were easy shoes to fill. When Strong won his Emmy last fall, he wore a floppy taupe bow tied loose, uh, tied loosely around his neck, nearly identical to the black bow that Day Lewis wore to accept his Oscar for my left foot. <laughs> Look at that, man. Strong's association with Day Lewis had actually started before Jackson Rose when he still had a poster shrine in his bedroom. When he was 16, he got a job in the greenery department of the Crucible starring day lewis which was filming next to where strong lived for one scene he held a branch outside a window in high school strong also interned for the editor of looking for richard Let's see it's going down the list released in 1996 in which al pacino ruminates on playing richard third i remember that movie and he worked in the sound department on spielberg's amistad for which he held a boom mic while anthony hopkins gave a speech as John Quincy Adams. When I asked how he got these jobs as a teenager without connection, Strong said, I just wrote letters. Damn. Simple as that. Simple as that. Man. So I just wanted to cover up a couple of highlights of that. Like I said, go check this go check this article out. It really does give you um, kind of insight into what what we do as actors and as serious actors, because a lot of times I think we get, we get kind of characterized as, you know, glorified set pieces or, you know, props. <laughs> we are people in our best sense of the word. Um, and I think a lot of times, um, I think a lot of times our, our work gets misinterpreted we get we get kind of lumped in as you know people who don't necessarily deserve respect on a set all the times but or in in the in the run up to where we do get respect you know sometimes our methods are misinterpreted and i think that's what happened with jeremy here moral of the story is i think that's what happened to jeremy um in this this piece like i said it can be interpreted many many different ways but i think it actually was um you know it was it was it wasn't unfair they did go through the details of his life but i think the result and the resultant um outpouring of support that he's gotten actually is is very indicative of how we work as a community and i think actors want to protect each other and so a lot of people really they set out to to come to his come to his aid because they thought some of his castmates might have been too hard on him you know what I mean? In in their in their critique of his process. Let's just say that. 
so yeah uh oh yeah <laughs> this is um this is something else here um okay let me um let me find this little piece so i can talk about what aaron sorkin said very quickly jessica chastain also came out with some good comments um you might be able to see and like people came to his aid because they were like y'all he's brilliant leave him alone you know what i mean like aaron sorkin blasts the new yorker's profile of succession succession star jeremy strong gets support from adam mckay new yorker responds uh this is in deadline uh updated on saturday originally published on friday uh aaron sorkin posted an open letter friday disputing what he calls the distorted picture of actor jeremy strong created by a recent new yorker profile late friday the new yorker responded with a statement to deadline which is below strong is currently receiving raves for his work on succession to which the profile is pegged with the series executive producer adam mckay also weighing in on the controversy sorkin has worked with strong on two projects the first is 2017 molly's game which starred jessica chastain second is last year's trial of chicago seven sorkin wrote and directed that film which strong plays one time yippee jerry rubin um let me see. After reading Michael Shulman's profile of Jeremy Strong, a profile in which I participated, I wanted to speak up, wrote Sorkin. I think I helped Mr. Shulman create what I believe is a distorted picture of Jeremy that asked us to roll our eyes at his acting process. The letter was posted to Twitter by Chastain with the explanation that Sorkin doesn't have this social me- have a social media account. Mm. It tells you something. Aaron Sorkin doesn't deal with social media. I've often thought about leaving social media together too. You know, to be a serious actor or to be a serious writer, you need to get off of the social media sometimes. Um, it does become a lot. Sorkin goes on to say that he was asked five questions about Strong and gave five answers. He points out, however, that only one and a half of these answers were used and which of course is perfectly normal but they were quotes about the tear gas and playing the kazoo so they cherry picked what they want to say and that might paint him in a other than positive light you know what i mean a passage in showman's new yorker profile reads as follows okay we read that uh sorkin's point seems to be that the focus is on the actor's more eccentric actions instead of contrap contrapuntal answers counterpoint answers sorkin says he gave that but weren't used Uh, they include jeremy's not a nut he doesn't make people call him by his name on set Hmm? (laughs) that's the other part other half of the answer on the stunt coordinator roughing him up part um this is a nuanced, multi-sided portrait. Uh, this is a New Yorker spokesperson saying, uh, this is a multi nuanced, multi-sided portrait of an extremely dedicated actor. It has inspired a range of reactions from people, including many who say that they are even more impressed by Jeremy Strong's artistry after having read their article. I think I've fallen into that category too. It's like I wasn't even watching the show like that and I immediately 
pick the show back up because I was like, oh yeah, this sounds like my kind of guy. <laughs> even 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 on the outside, I like a I like a a, a rebel. Uh, New Yorker piece titled "On Succession: Jeremy Strong Doesn't Get the Joke" is focused on Strong's Emmy-winning role on an HBO drama. Quotes from executive producer Adam McKay, including this one: "He's not playing like a comedy; he's playing like he's Hamlet." McKay Sunday retweeted the Deadline story uh, with a note backing Sorkin's comments. Okay, I couldn't agree more. McKay said, "Jeremy is not only a lovely guy, but a brilliant actor who." was cast in succession precisely because of his passion, the New Yorker writer mocks. Hmm. So he Adam McKay is saying that uh, the New Yorker writer is mocking um, his passion by, by, I mean, yeah, I can get that. I can get that. Because that's what I'm saying. When you really examine the things that actors do, Sometimes they can seem a little strange. And for somebody who's not an actor, they can seem really strange. So, yeah. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I consider myself a good guy too, but I'm, I've definitely been misinterpreted um, for some of my actions, you know what I mean? Like, not to this extent, you know, not to this level. And obviously I, you know, I try to have a bit of decorum, but when you're focused on something like something as serious as, you know, being um, an intense lead of a show like Jeremy is, you you don't really you don't really play with that. So anyway, Sorkin's protests may uh, sound like to some like a minor quibble over two quotes and a profile that is thousands and thousands of words long. <laughs> yeah, I read this for you know quite a bit of time here, um, which portrayed Strong as an intense and eccentric performer has triggered a very active discussion online and in Hollywood. Um, yeah, Aaron Sorkin doesn't have social media, so he asked me to post this on his behalf. Jessica Chastain, yeah, she she's been in support of. Uh, Jeremy as well. Hey, what's up? She stole my thunder. Um, Chastain, for her part, defended Strong on December 7th with a tweet of her own. I've known Jeremy Strong for 20 years and worked with him on two films. She wrote, he's a lovely person, very inspiring and passionate about his work. The profile that came out of him was incredibly one-sided. Don't believe everything you read, folks. Snark sells, but maybe it's time we move beyond it. Hmm. Yeah, can we move beyond snark? And that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of these characters are informing their answers, it sounds like in, in the New Yorker article. And that might be their real personality, but like I think it has something to the environment that Jeremy has kind of created on that set, too. You know, that he's he's isolated. You know, he is the the black sheep son or whatever. I mean, like I said, I, I got to watch the show completely, but I think that's where it's going. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, anyway, man, if you like this video, I'm trying something new here. If you like this, uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Um, I don't know if anybody is wanting to weigh in on the topic 
but I'd love to hear from you all in the comments. Um, this is Frank Fawcett. Uh, this has been a profile of Jeremy Strong. And like I said, in the eccentric actor that he is, that I also probably am. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thank you for joining me. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Yeah. Later. I'll be back later today. So I think I'm going to do another live stream, get this live stream game going. But uh, yeah, watch the replay, everybody. Peace.